welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! The book of Hebrews, the middle of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. And then the very beginning of Hebrews 12 as well. So please follow along as I read. Then we have a call and response prayer plus sermon. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. Grant us now your Holy Spirit that we would be illumined to understand this, your very word. Father, as we think of the saints of old from this passage, those that followed you even before Jesus As we consider our present, as we consider our future, would you meet us at every stage? Thank you that Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us, for all that come to Jesus by faith and by grace alone. So, Father, fit us for your future, that we would be better emissaries of your grace and mercy in the present. Do a good work now, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The first Bible study that I ever went to was almost my last Bible study. My first Bible study, the one I'd never been to a Bible study before, it was almost my last one in the sense that I almost said, I'm never going to do that ever again. So it was my first year in college, my first year, and then towards the end of the first semester, I was just a boy from New Orleans who had made the trek all the way to New Hampshire, to Dartmouth College, and I was feeling a lot of academic pressure. I wasn't self-identifying as a Christian or anybody of one spiritual stripe or another, but I recognized that I needed help. I needed some relief. I was feeling a lot of stress, feeling a lot of anxiety, so I found myself in this freshman Bible study. And the topic of that first Bible study I'll never forget was eternal perspective. That was a phrase that was used over and over again, eternal perspective. And it went like this. The Bible study leader said, if you believe in Jesus, that means that you are able to be with God in heaven forever. And my hearing that didn't blow me out of the water. I I understood and recognized that that's what Christians taught and believed. I wasn't there myself, but sure. But this is where it went from there. Because if you believe in Jesus and you will be with God in heaven forever, 
what you're doing right now doesn't matter. And I thought, huh. But then it kept going from there. Because if you believe in Jesus, you will be with God in heaven forever. And therefore, what you're doing now doesn't matter. Therefore, you can relax about all this academic pressure that you're feeling because it's absolutely pointless anyway. I didn't find that super compelling. I thought to myself, hmm, this Bible study has taken a turn that I wasn't expecting. I stuck with the Bible study, especially in those early stages because of the relationships, and I'm still good friends with those guys. I talked with one of them on the phone this past week, another one of those guys in that first boys freshman Bible study joins us frequently on worship feeds here on Sunday morning. So I love the relationships that formed there, but it was a rocky beginning, my introduction to Bible study, because when I was in school, I realized I looked around and I was surrounded by students who were passionate about their academic pursuits. And they went to college, not necessarily to make a lot of money. I mean, that was me, understandably, but I was surrounded by other students that weren't in it for the money, but instead wanted to learn a lot of stuff to do a ton of good in and for the world. And it just seemed tone deaf to me to be told that none of this matters. And I thought, surely, if Christianity is true and real, there's more to the story than just this. Is heaven truly a de-incentivizer for us in the present? But I gave it time. And then over time, I understood that understanding heaven requires some nuance, but it's awesome. And it's something that I truly needed and came to love in a deep way. But that's a question still for us this morning. How do you weigh heaven? And it's true, that is a central part of the whole Christian story, of the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, that Bible study was not wrong when it said that, you will be with God in heaven forever. Because uniquely, for those that believe in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, but broadly, so it doesn't matter who you are, anybody and everybody that comes to this Christ, you can be assured that Jesus has paid the penalty on the cross for your sin, that debt has been settled, and one way to think about it is that Jesus shares heaven with you. When Jesus came to earth, the Christian church calls it incarnation, Jesus brought heaven to earth, and when he was resurrected again, he's sharing the first fruits of that new heavens and new earth with all of us all the way to when Jesus comes back again, recreates all things. It is going to be awesome. All that stuff is true. But I don't blame you if you're sitting here right now, 2020, going into 2021, thinking to yourself, you know, my headspace is not about heaven. My headspace is in headlines right now because life continues to be crazy, whether it's our country or around the world, various political factors, pandemic, etc. Life is really crazy. That's what I'm focusing on right now. I get it. However, in my opinion, and the church confesses that if you do believe in Jesus and know that heaven is your destination, that is designed to make all the difference in the world for how you comport yourself and engage others and the world right now. And so today, as you read headlines, and you might think, the horror, the horror of what's going on around us. Maybe you feel despair. Maybe you feel anguish. Maybe you feel anger. Maybe you feel anxiety. 
Maybe you feel disparagement. Maybe you feel discouragement. Maybe you just want to disconnect from all of it. No matter where you are on these axes, I would commend to you heaven in Jesus Christ. We need it for our present, and we need it for our future, and we need it together. And so two parts for the rest of the sermon as we examine the Christian concept of heaven, the danger and promise of heaven. First part from here, some Bible and some context, and then some balance. The danger and promise of heaven, some Bible and context, and then some balance. So we are continuing on and really coming to a point of wrapping up this sermon series. We'll continue to emphasize throughout the year, the rest of the year, community. But the sermon series on community is wrapping up here. We've been tying these Sunday mornings to a Rusty George book, a preacher and teacher, Better Together, Discovering the Power of Community. This here is chapter 12, where the title of that chapter is, Home is Better Pursued Together, talking about heaven what's ahead because of what Jesus has done. And realistically for me, as I think about how the church engages the world and what secularity thinks about Christianity, sometimes assumptions made by my skeptical friends and neighbors about Christianity just don't line up. They're not true with what the Bible actually says and teaches. But then in other points, those assumptions prove to be correct. And I think this is one of them where, by and large, if you would ask a skeptical friend or neighbor, or maybe that's where you are here this morning watching, thank you so much for joining us, You're not blown out of the water like I wasn't at that first freshman Bible study. Yes, Christians believe that if you believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. That's true. And in fact, it is all over the Bible, including from the lips of Jesus of Nazareth himself. John's Gospel, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life. For example, Jesus says, if you know the story, the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Or you might know John chapter 14, that's where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But earlier in that chapter, Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back to take you that you will be with me where I am. Jesus is talking about heaven there. Or the very end of the Bible, the last book in the New Testament, Revelation. Check it out sometime, Revelation 21 and 22, where John, also the writer of that gospel, is given a vision of the new heavens and new earth to come. Behold, the old heaven and the old earth was falling away, and I saw the new heaven and the new earth coming down from heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, a garden city where the cosmos will be recreated and made new and made right. And at that time, the dwelling of God will be with humanity. He'll wipe every tear away from every eye, and death shall be no more. So resurrection life is coming for us in heaven, not only according to the New Testament, but the old. One of the oldest books of the Bible, the book of Job, at one point Job says, And I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he shall stride upon the earth. Our old King David, when his first son dies, he says, He's not going to come to me, but I will go to him. Heaven. And we also encounter heaven here in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, one of the later books of the New Testament, a New Testament epistle. We don't know who wrote it, but it has some great stuff. Tune into the podcast this coming week, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. A little bit of a plug and promo right there once again. But in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it's a chapter about faith. 
the chapter begins. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Liberty Youth is going through Hebrews chapter 11. It's like a hall of fame of faith where person after person after person in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, by faith he did this. By faith this happened. By faith these people of God, these men and women pursued and did courageous things for God. So it's a chapter about faith. It's also a chapter about heaven. So we encounter in the middle of Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham and Sarah, that great old couple following God, And we pick up the story there. They are wandering around. You can go back and read some of those chapters in Genesis. They're not arrived yet, but they're looking ahead. They're wandering around. They haven't yet arrived, but they're looking ahead. Verse 13. These all died in faith, including Abraham and Sarah, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That's Abraham and Sarah, but the implication is for those that follow Jesus, even after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, we're kind of in the same boat. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And even as you access the Hebrew scriptures, the promised land wasn't the end game, wasn't the end all be all, verse 16, but as it is. They desire a better country, not just the real estate in the, middle, in the Middle East, but that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There is a greater promised land coming. That is heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. For all of God's people, before and after Jesus, that come by faith to the one true God through Christ, we can be assured that God will fulfill all of his plan for all of his people, God's presence, God's people, God's place coming together. It's going to be great. We saw it tipped off in the Garden of Eden with our first parents, Adam and Eve, all together again. That's going to be for the ages, that heaven is coming if you believe in Jesus. And I would encourage you to take steps of faith in that direction. Now, I understand that at least for some of you, watching what I just said, you might be thinking or you might be wondering. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're a Christian that's maybe wavering in faith a little bit. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I can believe all of this. That just kind of sounds absurd. It's at best wishful thinking. Sure, I would love to live after I die, but that's all it is. Wishful thinking. That's not real. This material world is all we have, and when we die, that's it. All of these intuitions, if we have them, are false about life after death. But I would say at this point, I appreciate that honest dialogue back and forth, but isn't it true that we should listen even more to our own secular prophets? We are, even here in the late modern West, a heaven-haunted people. Leonard Bernstein in the 20th century, who is not a person of faith, said, nevertheless, when he hears great music, he thinks of heaven. Bernstein admitted that when he was in the presence of great music and great beauty, he sensed heaven, an order behind things, something we can trust that will never let us down. Or a contemporary Irish writer, Edna O'Brien, I think not a person of faith, her character is generally in her fiction, not people of faith, and yet they can't stop talking about heaven. One of her characters says this, soon as I can walk, I will set out. 
We, the defiled ones, in our thousands, scattered, trudging over the land, the petrified land, in search of a safe haven, if such a place exists. I wait for the dream that leads us beyond, up onto the mountain, that bluish realm, half earth, half sky, to begin our journey all over again, to live our lives as they should have been lived, happy, trusting, and free of shame. Or science fiction. If I could get my nerd on here for just a second, Battlestar Galactica. I talk about it periodically at Liberty Collingswood in sermons. I get very little feedback about the reboot Battlestar Galactica. Still awesome. Whether it's that series or the only one season long spinoff that didn't do very well commercially, but I loved it, Caprica. That and so much other science fiction is figuring out how we can perpetuate ourselves by technological means or otherwise, to encounter some form of life after death. It's everywhere. A nearly universal impulse that says, there's got to be more after we die. And I would say it's only here in the late modern secular and also white West where there is this materialistic pressure upon those intuitions that are so widely held in so many other places. Let's listen to ourselves. And I believe that whether you're watching here this morning as a follower of Jesus or not, heaven is your big thirst. It's the seat of all of our longings. It's the big thirst behind this desire and this longing to be satisfied that can only, the church confesses, truly be filled by Jesus as we long for heaven to come. And this is where it gets complicated. So if, if that's a little bit of the promise of heaven and some context in terms of our cultural moment, here's a little bit of church history context too. It has been the case that over the years, especially in our country, a belief by the church in heaven occasionally has de-incentivized our wanting to engage our world now. Isn't it true, you might say, even in the language of Hebrews chapter 11, that we are strangers and exiles on earth, Hebrews 11:13. So why are we worrying about any and all of this right now? Well, we have historical precursors to some of those things, and they get all the time. Jim, why do we have to spend Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in your sermons talking about the early 20th century fundamentalist modernist controversy? Do we have to go there again? And the answer is, Sure, why not? So a little bit of church history for you here. Early 20th century, in the mainline churches in the U.S., as science was coming into its own, as globalization was beginning, there was a movement in the churches that said, hey, I'm not so sure that we can believe all that the Bible says. It comes from this way pre-modern culture, and we've got to be modern people. We're not so sure, especially about the supernatural elements in the scriptures. So, miracles of Jesus— were they really miracles, all those exorcisms and stuff? Maybe it was just psychiatric conditions that people didn't have names for then. And was Jesus really raised from the dead? And can we really trust this idea of heaven and afterlife? Maybe that is just speculation, but what we all can agree upon, the reasoning went, is the ethic of Jesus. What did Jesus teach about what we are called to do in the here and now? Those were the modernists, so-called. But then there was another movement that cropped up, the fundamentalists, and they were so-called then because they wrote some really big academic scholarly books called The Fundamentals. Pretty negative connotations now, I would say, to that name fundamentalism. Not so much back then, and those fundamentals were, wait a second, 
we're a little worried that some of our Christian brothers and sisters are taking some steps away from the robust historic Christian faith. But when that started to happen, there was also a concomitant of that when they said, we need to recapture the supernatural. Miracles of Jesus, great. Resurrection of Jesus, great. Heaven to come, that's what we need. There was less emphasis on the present moment. And so there was a doubling down instead on, hey, we need to change hearts and get people fit for heaven. We need conversions. The whole Billy Graham crusades came out of that movement. That, that freshman Bible study that I was in was Campus Crusade for Christ that also came out of that stream, out of that impulse. All good stuff as far as it goes. But then on the other hand, fast forward 50 years later, give or take, from the early 20th century, in the South, when Martin Luther King was trying to mobilize his white brothers and sisters in churches saying, hey, black people have got it really bad right now. We need you to help. One of the things that he was met with was that people came back and said, why are we worrying about all this stuff in the here and now? The goal of the church is just to focus primarily, even sometimes exclusively, on getting people ready for heaven, on evangelism for the sake of getting people there. And so the present was devalued in some Christian circles. And that's where you get something like what you do academically doesn't matter because you need to have an eternal perspective. There is a dichotomy that formed. But let's see if we can get back to some balance with these things. So the danger and promise of heaven, some Bible and some context. Let's now talk about some balance. I get it. I understand that here and now in the present, headlines have so much of our headspace, even more than heaven, because life really is crazy right now. But understand that it comes at a cost. It's no coincidence that we are more fragile and more tribal in this country, maybe than we have ever been before. And as we find ourselves being so caught up in this current moment, isn't it the case that we need a greater, bigger, deeper, stronger anchor. The church confesses that that is heaven to come. And I talk sometimes about how Jesus can and should relativize ourselves. Also, likewise, let's let the reality of a new heavens and new earth to come relativize our present and see that there is a false dichotomy between only worrying about the future or only worrying about the present. We need to be invested in both directions. And I would say that as we recognize that in Jesus our future is secure, we are able to look at the present and on one hand say, this isn't ultimate. I don't have to live and die here. But then on the other hand, because the future is secure, all of this matters. And in whatever way God is calling you, we can roll up our sleeves and engage. And I think the heaven to come is something to say both, as I see it, to the secular right and to the secular left. And these are huge overgeneralizations, I realize, but can't say everything all at once in one sermon. To the secular right, sometimes I see the impulse there being, hey, let's not change anything. Let's try to keep things and return to the past and lock that in as much as possible. Change nothing. But I would say to the secular right, the best is yet to come, and it wasn't in the past. We can relax about wanting to lock everything in or keep looking to the past. That was never the end game or ultimate anyway. Or then on the other hand, the secular left, let's make the future now and change everything. I would say, well, there's a heaven to come, so we can engage in the present, but we don't have to say, if everything doesn't change this second, all is lost. 
that's not true either. We can have some balance. And you might be wondering, if you're skeptical of spiritualities, why do I need this heaven stuff anyway? Because I would say that heaven gives you, in the future, the best reason now to engage the present. We can roll up our sleeves and get to work. C.S. Lewis was a Christian writer and thinker in the mid to, early to mid-20th century, and he put it this way in one of his books, Miracles, talking about how the future is an engine of present hope now. For I suspect, and he's talking to modernist Christians here, that our conception of heaven as merely a watery state of mind and not a future reality is not unconnected with the fact that specifically the Christian virtue of hope has in our time grown so languid. This is in the context of world wars, where our Christian fathers and mothers peering into the future saw gleams of gold, we see only the mist, gray, white, featureless, cold, and never moving. But because our future is secure in Jesus, we can work and dream big now. And as we look at the history of the West, some of the greatest change movements for good came from Christians that were certain that there's a heaven to come. C.S. Lewis, one more time. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next— the apostles themselves who started the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the centuries before English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven. I love how this quote ends. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Let's dream and work big now. And I think this has something to say, too. As we find ourselves in this cultural moment once again, I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon series, we live in a self-curatorial age where we put so much time and effort and thought and energy into who we are, what we should be doing, and how we self-present to other people. So we put so much time into thinking about our bodies. We put so much time into thinking about our diets. We put so much time into thinking about what shows should I be watching in my Netflix or Amazon Prime queues? What podcast should I be listening to? What conversations should I, should, should I be a part of? What are my social connections? What am I achieving in my job? What are other people seeing? How can I pristinate as far as I can my present moment where life becomes a Pinterest board for all to see? And that's fine as far as it goes, but I'm not sure about how far it actually goes. I would say that maybe we have so much effort and energy invested into curating ourselves now, maybe that's a retreat because life around us is so incredibly crazy. What can we control? What can we work on ourselves? When we become little mini Edens, these ideal realities here in these little bubbles— but heaven enables us to look ahead and look up and say, God's got all of this. We can relax from the performance anxiety of having to have these perfect lives and perfect selves and perfect relationships, perfect families here in the present, and focus instead on loving God and loving people. God can curate our lives and our world so much better than we ever can. So I'll ask this. Where in your life do you need the freedom of heaven?
more. Where in your life, maybe you need to relax. And I understand if this is a crazy time and you're feeling so many deep emotions, would you take steps of faith to balance that? Okay, there's a new heavens and new earth coming. But then maybe on the other hand, you need to engage a little bit more. And the security that heaven gives you says, hey, get off the sideline. Do more now in the present moment. And this is why we need each other. Chapter 12 of Better Together, home, heaven is pursued better together. And I get it. Sometimes we can be right truth, wrong time kinds of people. But also, let's be right truth, right time types of people too, where we remind each other that this moment is not ultimate, and we are a pilgrim people serving our present and looking to our future. I think one more time of science fiction. And I think this happens in real life too, where you have an astronaut working on the space bridge, and you have your astronaut suit on going out into space with your hammer and nails and other space tools when you're working on the thing, but you have that connection, the communication wire, you have the oxygen that, that's connecting you back to the home hub, but you can go out farther if you're certain and have that great connection. That's what heaven does for us here in the present, and it's all by grace. So it's not about curatorial or otherwise self-performance now. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews chapter 11, one more time. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The reason that we ourselves are able to look up at God and say, God, thank you for not being ashamed of me, is because Jesus took that shame upon himself on the cross. We are a heaven-haunted people as well as a heaven-hunted one as in graciously pursued. Because Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Reaching heaven is a matter of grace, and grace alone so we can together pursue the let us of the beginning of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Yeah. The odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.